All right, everyone, welcome to the You Know Jack podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Jacklevic. Thanks for joining us today. Um, got a really exciting guest today, a, a dear friend of mine, Miss Carrie Sue Thompson. Carrie, how you doing today? I'm doing good. You doing good? Yep. A little you, bit nervous. You nervous to be here? I'm not going to lie, a little bit. <laughs> good deal. What do you think about all this? Mm. Did you listen to the first episode? I actually did. Yeah. And- uh, I hung on every word. It was it was it was interesting, and it made me a little bit less nervous. Okay. And oh. it was your first podcast you ever listened to, is that right? First podcast I ever listened to. Well, I appreciate that. That's pretty pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the goal of this podcast, as I kind of mentioned on the first episode, is just to hear about people's stories in their lives to see how um, those stories might help other people, right, by being honest and open. Absolutely. And so when I started thinking about doing this project, I uh, immediately thought of you because you're someone I've known for a few years, and, uh, you know, we we met around the same time my life was changing in a, in a good way, and uh, your husband and I are like family, and you're like family now. Yeah. And uh, so you guys have both been a very important, uh, you know, per- people in my life. And so I've never really heard your story. And, uh, you know, I I know that you've uh, you've been through some things in life. Mm-hmm. But as we're sitting here today in your beautiful home, life is pretty good right now. And, yeah. uh, you know, you're uh, a person that helps a lot of other people. You're a professional vacation per- taker. <laughs> um, True. And uh, you're just someone that's that uh, is always seems to be helping other women uh, with with problems they're having. And so I think that's a that's an awesome thing. So I just wanted you to be the first episode where I actually interviewed some someone. So I was honored that you asked me to be the first. And I remember asking Ben, like, has he heard my story? You know. Um, all the way through. Cause like, you know, um, I'm a pretty low bottom drunk, you know, I, 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 I hit some pretty, pretty lows in my disease of addiction, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna try my best to keep it really general. Okay. Try not to cuss a lot. Well, Uh, whatever you, whatever comes out is okay. There's no rules here on uh, the, you know, Jack podcast. So. Let's start with um, introduce yourself. What's your What's your name? Where are you from? Okay, my name is Carrie Sue Thompson. Uh, used to be Carrie Davis. If you ever read it in the police blotters in the <laughs> Telegraph, <laughs> I actually made the front page of the Telegraph one time. Uh, so embarrassing. Um, I grew up in Rosewood Heights. Uh, went to Roxana High School. Um, I have two older sisters. Um, nowadays I'm married to an amazing man. I have, uh, two sons of my own and a bonus child. Um, I have a little puppy Frenchie named Stella. He's my whole world. Um, like you said, um, I get to help 
a lot of women in recovery. And uh, that's basically the only way that I've ever been able to stay clean and sober myself. Uh, I tried many, many times in and out of treatment, in and out of treatment. I'm sure we'll get to that later yeah, in yeah. the show. But Okay, well, thanks for that. So let's start at the beginning. The Rosewood Heights, East Alton, mm-hmm. Roxana area. How would you describe that area to listeners that might not be from this area? <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, so Rosewood Heights is basically considered East Alton mailing address. Um, back when I was young, there was Mary Drive. Um, it's not there anymore because of the airport. So our subdivision was split in half. Half the subdivision went to Bethalta. Oh, the other half went to Roxana. Um, so at an early age at Roxana, I hung out with the popular kids. Um, they had no idea I was smoking cigarettes, smoking weed. Um, and then the other kids in Bethalto, those were the kids that I was, you know, smoking cigarettes with, starting to smoke weed with, dabbling in some Keystone Light on the weekends. Yeah. You, you know, um, I mean, there wasn't really a lot to do right. a- in those small towns, y- yeah. you know. So if you're not familiar with this area, it's, it's a suburb of uh, St. Louis, and uh, there are a lot of small towns right around each other. And it's a refinery area. There are some some oil refineries, and uh, so there's a lot of interesting things going on in that that little area. So, um, what was it like in your family growing up? Were you um, you know in a uh, were your parents still together through your childhood? Was there divorce going on there, or were you in a pretty stable childhood? Um, no. One thing I I started to learn as I came into recovery is that I have a disease of perception. Um, even as a little girl, I, well, let me tell you, my, my, my dad was an alcoholic. Okay. Um, he liked to fight a lot. He, he worked on the barges, so he was gone a lot when I was little. Um, so my earliest childhood memories was like m- my mom going to drag him out of bars or whatever. He ended up getting in a bar fight and getting shot and killed when I was four. So my mom had to work two jobs. She had three girls to raise. And um, the next relationship that she got into, I think I was about nine years old. And that was with another alcoholic who I love to death today. Yeah. And he was the kind who could function, always had a job, you know, took care of us. Took care care of you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so would I say it was stable? Absolutely not. Right. And if you would have asked me this question six and a half years ago, I would have sat here and told you that I was a victim, that it was terrible, terrible and pointed out. I mean, cause there was some trauma because of the alcoholism in the home. Sure. Y- you know, um, but I prefer not to talk about that today. Yeah. And everybody was doing what they had to do. Mm-hmm. To, to get by. Right. But I've also used that, those traumatic experiences to play a victim to continue in my addiction and get people to feel sorry for me. Yeah. So you notice those character defects at an early age. Absolutely. And so as you're growing up in that environment and you have some siblings, 
Are you close with your siblings at that time, growing up as a kid? Oh yeah. Um, so I you're like... out getting getting in trouble, running around, and having fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked up to my oldest sister, and she she partied a lot and ran around with some pretty bad dudes. You know, they had like the the El Camino lowriders with the you know the the wheels. They sold drugs. They you, you know yeah. Um, my mom was in the relationship with the alcoholic at the time, so they were kind of doing their thing and we just were running around with my older sister. So we were exposed to a lot of adult things that we probably shouldn't have been probably around like 12 years old and didn't realize it. But looking back, like I, I was hanging out at a house where 19, 20 year old men were selling crack and cocaine because, yeah. because I was with my sister who at that time was 16 or 17 years old, you know? Yeah. So at an early age, you were around some, you were in some environments that were definitely, um, going to impact you going uh, forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So then how were you as a student growing up? How was school and, and were you into sports or extracurriculars? Actually, I was super smart in school, and I played softball, like, fourth, fifth grade, um, maybe even in sixth. Volleyball, this is hilarious. Um, my freshman year, my coach, we it was actually me and a good friend of mine, we tried to make it to Taco Bell to grab some tacos before practice, and we were sitting on the bleachers eating our tacos, and he said to choose the Taco Bell or the volleyball. We walked out. <laughs> you picked Taco Bell. We were we were probably stoned. We had yeah, the munchies. Yeah. <laughs> well, Taco Bell's pretty good. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't ever like super good. I, I remember in softball, every time I would go up to bat being terrified because I, I felt like I struck out a lot. But yeah. I played shortstop and I was pretty good That's there. A tough in, the, spot. in the outfield, I was pretty good. I always hated going up to bat because I felt like everyone was staring at me. Yeah. And, and that probably goes with that selfish and self-centeredness. That Just some insecurity, too. I mean, I remember that same thing oh. when I was a kid. I was never comfortable in sporting events. Absolutely not. I had a teacher, I think, in fourth grade that if you had to blow your nose, made you go up to the front of the class to get the Kleenex. And I would sit and suffer if I had to blow my nose because I did not want to walk in front of the class and blow my nose. So you had that anxiety, anxiety as a, as a kid and insecurity. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And do you think you were born with that or do you think it kind of got worse as time went on because of conditions or. I almost think I was born with it, Kevin. Yeah. You know, like I don't know where I got these ideas from, but my dad always wanted a boy, my dad that died. Yeah. And um, so in my mind, I always thought he never wanted me because I guess back then they didn't find out what they were having. So my mom had, you know, Jody sure. and then she had my other sister. And then, so I never felt like he wanted me, you know, just as a baby. Yeah, that's tough. I don't, I don't know where that came from. So that's why sometimes I feel like I was born with it, you know? Yeah. And so, um, growing up and obviously you've been through a lot with losing your dad, did you ever get any help for that? Or was it just kind of something you tried to power through? No, I, I never really got any help for it. Uh, I, a few years 
later, like it was four when it happened. And I remember a few years later, George Jones had the song, Daddy Come Home. That was when we had cassette tapes and I used to lock myself in the hall closet and listen to that song over and over and cry. That's a memory I have, you know? Yeah. That's tough stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, you're in your teens now. You've kind of been running around. You're exposed to some some more adult-like behavior and surroundings. When do you start to uh, act out a little bit or start having a little too much fun, maybe? Um, I would say 11... I was probably 11 years old when I had my first drink of alcohol. My sister used to have a lot of house parties, and uh, there was always like Purple Passion, Mad Dog 2020, right. Everclear. The regulars. That was in the fridge. That was There was a crowd liquor in Wood River. I don't know who bought the liquor, but it was always there. Yep. My mom wasn't home that night, and I just decided to get in the refrigerator and get me, and get me a drink, and... Uh, and I love the way I felt. Sure. But then I felt guilt like that, like someone was going to know that I drank. And I remember like going in the bathroom and looking in the mirror. And my cheeks were red and I was just smiling at myself and I felt so pretty. But I but I knew I shouldn't have done it. So. So you did it and no one knew that night when the party was going on? Mm-mm. Gotcha. But then as the next parties came, I would do it and then I would put on eyeliner and mascara and stuff my bra and so then you're trying to get that go, attention uh, oh yeah yeah yep and all my my sisters friends would always tell me when you grow up you're going to be so beautiful and that just you know i, yeah. I love that attention yeah and and being through what you had gone through you probably you know you probably love to get that attention because of that you know oh, it yeah. made you feel great yep when do things start to um ramp up even more in sixth grade is when i couldn't really hide it from my friends at roxana what was going on with my friends on the other side of town so that's when i started not to care and i would go like across the street back then you could walk across the street and they had like this donor pit where you could smoke the cigarettes you know and stuff yeah. and so plus there was some domestic stuff that happened at home my health teacher was on the volunteer firefighter thing. So a lot of my my good friends at Roxanna's parents found out and they weren't allowed to come to my house anymore. So that... That was probably tough. It was tough. I'm not going to lie. Was that embarrassing to it was, you? It was really embarrassing to me. Um, I had a cousin that went to school, the same school that I did. And so... Uh, yeah. My stepdad was drunk and beat up a, an older guy that was at the house that shouldn't have been there messing around with me and my sisters with a hammer, and they called him Hammer Time, and it went around the school. Yeah, back when MC Hammer. So, <laughs> I know. It's funny now. And, um, yeah. you know, back then, my stepdad drank a little bit too much, and he was really trying to protect us girls. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't, you know. But I wouldn't, like I said, six and a half years ago, I wouldn't have told it that way because I didn't see it that way, you right. know. Um, so yeah, it was, it was definitely embarrassing. And so I changed my associations then from Roxana to the good kids that were playing soccer and that were making good grades. And my grades started dropping 
I started smarting off to teachers, getting called to the principal's office. And um, this is middle school? Seventh and eighth, yeah. Sixth, seventh, okay. and eighth grade. And so then I'm guessing high school, you were just a treat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, my freshman year was fun because then the senior boys... Right. I got that attention from the from all the senior boys. You know, the new freshman crop came in, and uh, I was doing all right grade wise. But I where where bad went to worse was my the summer of my freshman year. Yeah, so I guess at that transition point, you're going into high school, you're getting getting that attention, or you know you're going to get that attention. Mm-hmm. So what starts to change then? What starts to happen? Well, it, it was just always you know you get your allowance on Friday. You get a case of Keystone Light, a bag of weed. That was the weekend. Go to school. You know what I mean? Can't wait till Friday to do it again. Um, but the summer of my freshman year, I did my first line of cocaine. I said I would never, ever do cocaine or crack because I remembered what I seen back in Forest Homes. I yeah. seen people literally carrying TVs into that house. You know, I were trading, I were for trading stuff for drugs and the way that they looked. And and even though those some of those guys were selling drugs, they cared about my sister and and me enough, like to tell us, like or to try to hide it, I guess. Yeah. You know, so I never wanted to be that in my life, you know. But I would drink so much that I, I would pass out in weird rooms at parties, and that the guy that I was dating was pretty controlling. He didn't like that. So. Right. The first reason I ever did a bump of cocaine was so I could drink more. Yeah, I, many people don't don't know that. Sometimes it uh, it can definitely help you keep going if you're if that's your goal for the night to stay up later. Mm-hmm. So, so things start to change. Then, how long were you with this guy in uh, in a relationship? Oh, my mom tried so hard; she got restraining orders and everything to get me away from him. That we went through that whole summer. Um, he was psycho. He It got to the point to where he didn't want me to wear makeup. Um, he got in trouble his senior year at Bethalto. So he transferred to Roxana somehow and would sit outside of my classroom. This is now my sophomore year. Um, so I was skipping school so much. Honestly, Kevin, I was doing so much cocaine still at that point that I was staying up for days my wow. sophomore year. I couldn't go to school at that point. Yeah. Um, I what, what I, was going on at home at this time? Was, oh, my poor mom. She was trying to help, but she just couldn't couldn't get she, a hold of you. Oh, she was trying. She had everybody looking. She had called the cops. Uh, finally, she issued a restraining order out, and um, I ended up running away from home. And I think I was on the run for probably about a month with him. And uh, when you were 16, 15, 16? Mm hmm. Fif- 15. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty. Uh... We stayed in attics of friends' houses. We, we stayed in cars. We, I mean, I pawned my Mickey Mouse gold watch that my aunt got me. I mean, crazy. It, it was crazy. Looking back now, when I look at my kid, who, my youngest son's 11, you know, and my niece is going to be 15 on the 20th. It blows my mind how grown up I thought I was and what I was right. doing at, at that age. Right. You know. And where uh, do you think that comes from? Do you think that just comes from 
what you had been through and kind of being on your own a little bit with the mom that was just trying to provide and keep keep food on the table for for you girls when you were a kid and you were a little independent i don't think sh- that anybody could have stopped me or told me i you were just going to do what you wanted to do i was going to do what i wanted to do i mean even like my mom would try to wake me up for school and i would go in the bathroom turn on the shower and lock the door you know yeah or i mean i was i was terrible to her i was just terrible i put her through a lot so high school was some rough times for for your mom. Oh yeah. And uh they end up finally expelling me my sophomore year because they had truancy policy back then. So they would fine her. She would have to go to court and pay fines for me not being at school. Oh wow. So finally what they did was expelled me that way she wouldn't get fined anymore. So I was expelled my sophomore year and I ended up pregnant when I was six, what, 16? 16. 16. 16 and pregnant? 16 and pregnant. That was before it was a cool show on MTV. <laughs> so, um. <laughs> not by the guy that, not by, um, not, okay, so not by had, the guy with the restraining yeah, order. You had moved on then. So. Oh um, yeah. To a bigger and better drug dealer. <laughs> there you go. So what was your relationship oh. like with your sisters at that time? Um. Were you kind of just where you were isolating from people and not Absolutely. you didn't want to be around your family and the people that cared about you I'm guessing at that time no I, I was I was obsessed with that relationship with him and looking back I don't know why but I, I figured it out in recovery is I was addicted to men in relationships just like I was the drugs and the alcohol right and I think it's because I didn't know who I was and I didn't love myself and I had daddy issues so I felt like I always needed that person to control and take care of me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough spot to be in for a, a 16-year-old girl. But I didn't think I was 16. Yeah. Like, I was like 30 in my mind, you know? I was yeah. grown. <laughs> yeah. So um, you get out of that relationship. You upgrade to a new man. Uh-huh. You end up pregnant. Yep. And next thing you know, you have a kid at the age of 17, 16, what? I had my first son when I was 17. Yeah. Okay. And so what was your situation like in your life at that time? Where, um, did, where did you live? How were you, you know, what was, what was going on when, when you were going through that time period? So he, he actually, his older brother met some, some Mexicans that were drug traffickers. So we got to go back and forth to Tucson, Arizona a lot and bring back truckloads of weed. So, I mean, we he had his own apartment. He had all kinds of cool cars. Um, he bought me clothes. We watched South Park. We smoked weed. I, I wasn't doing a lot of uh, cocaine at that point. I, I still drank, you know, until I found out I was pregnant, of course. But uh, some real talk... And, and I'm going to be honest because I know my honesty might help someone else is I didn't want a baby. When I found out I was pregnant, dude, I was scared to death. But he was running around on me and I didn't want to lose him. Like, I felt like I had to have him. He was every, you know what I mean? And I felt like 
I had friends telling me, you know, he wasn't going to be there. And that's exactly what happened. I think our son was, I mean, he wasn't there for the first few months anyway, but he ended up getting locked up and got 18 years in the federal penitentiary when Arlie was three months old. Oh, wow. So he was, he was never around then in the, nope. in the picture at all. Mm-mm. And to this day, is he? No, he'll no. mess, he'll message him every once in a while and say he wants to hang out, but never really follows through. Gotcha. So then you're on your own, you're a single mom. Were you getting help from your family at that point? I wouldn't say that I was a mom. I You weren't? I lived, I moved back in with my mom and basically said, here's a beautiful baby. I'm going to go work on the landing at Show Me's. My mom was a big enabler. Um, I mean, Arlie was the most beautiful baby I've ever seen. He had a full head of blonde hair, huge blue eyes. He was gorgeous, but I didn't know how to take care of a baby. And my mom was helping me. And I mean, there was times that I was there changing his diaper and giving him a bath. But no, I got a job on the landing at Show Me's and bam, it was the attention. It was the money, the alcohol and that life down there. That was back when, uh, you know, I think it was Banana Joe's and Sundeckers and all those bars down on the landing and Pops and the Oz and Diamond Cabaret, you know. So this is late 90s. Yep. Yep. 99 is when he was born, so yep. Gotcha. So he's 22 years old now. He'll be 22 in March. That's that's crazy. It's crazy. And how is your relationship with him today? Um, it's taken a lot of work. It's a lot of, it's so much better than it was. Yeah. But it's taken a lot of work. You know, he, he carried a lot of resentment toward me, which, which of course, you know, thank God for my mom. Um, for stepping up and for being there for him and raising him. I, I, I see so many women and I help so many women. I know so many women that weren't that fortunate and their kids got lost in the system, you know? And I thank God every day that, um, that she was there for him, you know? But, uh, yeah, he, <laughs> when he first tried to move back in with me, it didn't work because I didn't know how to be his mom. Because yeah. all of a sudden I had, you know, I guess when he first moved in with me, I, ha- I had maybe two years sober, two or a half years sober. And I just didn't know how to be the mom of back then. He was like 17, whatever. I didn't know how I was, you know, and he, he'd run out the door and run right back to my mom's and it was back and forth and back and forth. Um, but he's been back here at, uh, me and Ben's now for four or five months. And I've learned that God doesn't have grandbabies that he is a child of God and that, you know, I have to quit being so controlling and, and psycho and let him have his own path. Figure it out. Yeah. You know. That's probably tough, though. It's tough because of what I lived through and what I did, and I don't want to see yeah. him, you know. Well, and I can imagine, you know, living that life for so long and then a couple years clean and sober, trying to be a good parent, mm-hmm. make up for some time, but you're also dealing with a kid who's he's trying to experiment and have fun on his own, and just because mom's got her, you know, life together a little bit all of a sudden... Why is he going to listen to mom when she's got all these new rules and all this stuff after she's been ripping and running for 20 years? Oh, yeah. He, so He'll throw that in my face. 
Yeah, I can. Well, you didn't grow up till you were 30-something, yeah, you know? Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I, I can, uh, yeah, and I can see where he's coming from, right? I mean, uh-huh. being somebody that struggled myself, if I had older kids that would have witnessed some things, it would have been a lot harder for me, you know? Mm-hmm. So, okay, well, I appreciate you being honest about all that. I mean, I know that's a tough stretch there. So yeah. um, after after that time in your life, right, you're, you're kind of in the in the bar scene, you're mm-hmm. working, um, downtown, probably partying all night long after you get off work over, you know, East St. Louis and having a good time. What, what's next? Or is it just a stretch of years and years of the same old same with partying? And I, um, blacking out, sometimes waking up in bathroom floors, not knowing how I got there, not knowing what happened. Um, those were the worst mornings. I remember like taking a shower and like just for a second thinking, man, this is not okay. (laughs) But then as soon as you get ready and you go to work and you drink, it's like you forget. Yeah. You know, um, I ended up getting in a relationship with, uh, the general manager at show me's and moved in with him pretty quickly. And, uh, I didn't know, but I, he, used to be a drug dealer too and he got right back into it so and and it got bad and it we were fedexing cocaine and oh wow yeah uh so what happened there is he was getting ready to get caught up on a case and i was i was back bad on cocaine so i would drive back to alton illinois and disappear for three days and you know he'd do his thing and uh He'd always threaten suicide every time I leave and not come home. So I always thought he was bullshitting, and, and the, the last time he wasn't. So I, I drove home, and uh, and he hung himself in front of me. That was in, God, it was about 12 or 13 years ago. Oh, my gosh. It was bad. That's really bad. Yeah, but can you imagine how the how the hell I used that? That was that was my. Well, guess. yeah, that's hard for anybody to go through, but uh, oh, somebody yeah. that's that plays the victim and, and uses doctors himself, yeah. What that did was opened up a whole new addiction to pills, Xanax. Oh, so we're talking anxiety medication, benzos. But yeah. I didn't realize how bad it was to mix a benzo with tequila or vodka because. I didn't like to drink beer because it made me bloated and had to pee too much. I wanted instant. Yeah, you wanted the effect. I wanted the effect right away. Yeah. So I was always like, give me a bottle of whiskey, give me some vodka, you know. Um, I think the year after he killed himself, I was in a complete blackout. Um, I started doing things that I had never, hurting friends that, that I had been friends with for 15 years. Uh, you know, they were trying to help me by letting me clean their house to make extra money and, and I would rob them or I would do whatever. Then I'd run off to treatment to not, not really to get help, but to run from the situation, uh, to make people think I wanted to get help. I wouldn't say that back then, but I know that now I wanted my mom to think I wanted to be a mom to my kid. I want, you know. Yeah. So you were just doing it because everyone else wanted you to, but you, you weren't there yet. Absolutely. I used to go I used to go to treatment with Xanax and Vicodin taped up the insides of my legs, Kevin. Yeah. 
Well, that's not going to work. No, no, that won't work if you're listening. So what, when was the first time you did seek help? After I robbed that house and I had a lot of people looking for me. So because I've done so many drugs, it's hard for me to tell people exact dates. Yeah. I want to say Arlie was probably seven years old. So what's 17 plus seven? I'm not good at math. 24. Okay. So I was probably about 24 the first time I went to treatment. Well Center in Jacksonville. And I was not honest. I told the people that I was in treatment with that that Arlie was my little brother when my mom brought him to see me. I told them I was a cheerleader. I graduated from high school. What makes you think you had to do that? I don't know. Isn't that weird? I always, I just, I don't know. I I know exactly what you mean. I, you know, the truth scared me sometimes. Yeah. And I would, you know, even in sobriety, little tiny things, little lies, I would be like, why did I just say that? You know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I always wanted to be honest and I knew, you know, in my mind, I think sometimes I would say a little, you know, white lie and think that's no big deal, but you know, the cracks in the door, Mm -hmm. they lead to a bigger problem eventually, you know, those little cracks. Um, Wow, that's amazing. Like 10 years ago in treatment, guys and girls could all congregate together. So like we'd sit around in circles and guys would have their guitars, you know what I mean? And I wanted to look good. Like, you know, there was the 40-year-old women that had some of their teeth missing and I'm like, I ain't never going to be like that, you know? And then sure as shit, years later... I show up and treat while I still got my teeth, but yeah, you have nice teeth. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you start going to treatment. Uh-huh. You start having getting pushed to go to treatment. I'm uh-huh. guessing you don't want to go. Yep. Uh, nothing's really clicking. You're are you staying sober a few days when you get out? A month or two? Is it just a few days? A uh, few days, probably. I thought I could smoke weed. I didn't think weed was a problem. Yeah. So I had a couple friends down the street. I think I smoked weed probably the first day out. Um, and within probably a week, I was drinking again, you know. Um, yeah, and then just off to the races. Uh, I, I, I think the longest I had, if I was institutionalized or in, in treatment, that's what that means, right? Sure, or okay. the hospital. I'm not as smart as these attorneys that were on the first episode, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, I got expelled from school in 10th grade. So anyway, um, I would do really well while I was in the center. So there's a place in St. Louis that I went to, and I was there for nine months, and I was doing great. And you lived there? I lived there. So it, um, can I say the name of it? I don't think It was matters. the Harris House. It was amazing. Okay. Yeah. The counselors there were great. I was in a house with all women. They they kept the men and the women separate there. That was a problem for me. The, the good-looking men always, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was doing really well. And then a friend of mine calls me and wants to take me on a, a blind double date. While you're in treatment. Uh-huh. Well, this treatment place, actually, you get to move up. So, th- like, by that time, I, I had a job. I didn't have curfew anymore. So it's a sober living kind of situation at that point. Yeah, but you still have kind of people watching over you and a counselor and you're still seeing a doctor. It's it's different than these Oxford houses here. It's a little different than that. Okay. 
but so I went on the date and uh, I don't know the guy. The guy started coming on my work. Actually, it wasn't my date. It was her date. Got in her phone and got my number and called me. And long story short, I I put a guy before my recovery. I moved out and within off to the races again. You know what happened is I I was at his I was at his mom's house and. I was sitting on the couch and I, I was looking over and I seen a blue pill on the floor and I picked it up and it was it was Xanax. I carried it in my pocket for two days. Wow. Yep. So at this point, you've obviously experimented with alcohol, many other drugs, uh-huh. and then the pharmaceuticals come in. Uh-huh. So is there, you know, because I certainly have experienced this, you know, I, I used to, when I was younger... I, I only like to do this, right? Like, I didn't like to do this drug, or I, I would never do this, or I, I don't know how people get addicted to a pharmaceutical, you know, anxiety medication or a pain pill. But then when you find yourself in such a low spot where you will just take whatever's there, that's that's got to be an awful place to be. I know I've been there. Oh, yeah. Um, I flipped a car six times, was ejected from the vehicle, and I guess ruptured my spleen or whatever and got, they gave me Percocets and, ooh, I love that. That was boy. something new. Oh, that was great. Yeah. And, and because of the, the, the fiance that had hung himself in front of me and I guess I was still pretty cute, even though I was abusing drugs, you know, I could dress myself up and manipulate the shit out of doctors. I could get scripts pretty easily, you know? And like you said on your interview, then you start finding the people yeah. that get the scripts but want to sell them for the money so they can go get whatever the heck else they want, right, you right. know. So um, pain pills did for me exactly what they did for you. I related so much when you said that. My, yeah. If my mom takes a Vicodin for a toothache, she's out. Yeah, yeah. You Some know, people just I'll chew up four of them and clean my whole house in like 15 minutes and then be outside cutting the neighbor's bushes yeah yeah. (laughs) you know and that's where you know i my experience with you know getting sober and uh you know i i think i mentioned it in my story that you know a lot of people don't think i have that bad of a problem or didn't because i still had this this and this and i still was employed and i hadn't really lost that anything yet right yet is the key word there but you know i feel like People don't understand sometimes that everything affects people differently. And I can tell you that I know the first time I tried certain things that it reacted in me way different than it does in normal people. Mm-hmm. And like you said, your mom takes you know um, a pain pill and goes to sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that you know a lot of people could do that, or some people could take it and like it, but they aren't gonna you know, stoop so low as to go try to find them. But other people, they're just wired a certain way. And that's, you know, what I believe is just the disease of addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, for, for people like us, it's just there's no other way around it until mm-hmm. you really get to a spot where you're willing to accept some help. So you start going in, getting some help. You're bouncing in and out of treatment. How many times overall did you go to treatment? Or do you know? Honestly, I can't even keep, I can't even keep track. Probably 
nine or ten times. I had one treatment center I went to so many times that they told me I was hopeless and would not take me back, and that was the well center. I went there at least five times. I was at the Harris House three times. Um, God, where else did I go? Great Great River Resource and Quincy. So you were all over anywhere that would take you. Yeah, and Kettler four or five times uh, attempted suicide, you know. I even went back when I was 19 when there was still a um, psych ward at the hospital in Alton. And so it was that long ago when you could still smoke in the hospital. So that was when I was 19. I'm 39, so that was 20 years ago. Wow. That was before treatment. Um, Yeah. And so all of that was linked to to drug and alcohol use? Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yep. Isn't it amazing what what can happen in your life Mm -hmm. if if you go down that path? It's crazy. Uh, All of the things, you know, I remember uh, when I sought sought out help, I remember talking to my counselor and she was asking me, you know, a bunch of different questions. And I just said, you know, I, I can't sleep. I, you know, I can't focus at times. I think I'm ADD. I, you know, I just had all these things that were wrong with me. And then I remember on my last day there, she goes, I told you you didn't have any of those things. (laughs) You're just, you know, you just were used to taking something every day. Mm -hmm. And it's true. You know, I mean, sure, I do have a little anxiety that I deal with and try to deal with it the right way now. But, um, but, you know, I, I used to think that, that I had to take something to alter my mood and, uh, It's just I was not comfortable in my own skin, and I was like that from an early age, whether it was from my insecurity about my weight or, you know, with girls, things at school, with girls, relationships, whatever it was, I had so many insecurities, and if I could just get to that right level of intoxication, I was perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, some people go further than others with. But most people could stop. I just couldn't stop. And I would get to the point to where if I didn't have any more, my mind would go so crazy that I would want to kill myself. No other way out. It, yeah. You know, I ended up getting pregnant again with the guy I ran off from treatment from. And I remember holding that baby and looking into his eyes and swearing, this time it's going to be different. You know, I'm going to be a good mom to you. And... Two weeks after he was born, I got a babysitter and uh, ended up blacking out drunk, throwing knives at my husband and going to jail, and he got a restraining order against me. And that's how powerful this disease of addiction is. Yeah. So when was the bottom? When did the rock bottom come in for you? Okay. Obviously, if you had a son at that time who's now 11... You're six and a half years sober now. I'm mm-hmm. pretty good at math. Okay. So you had another five years in you. Mm-hmm. I got bad. So I uh, I got pretty crazy. I had a little captain in me, and I, I found out my, my ex-husband was cheating on me, and I broke in a girl's house and decided to burn some of her clothes. And uh, so I got a charge. I sat in county jail for a while for that. Um, I'm going to try to speed this up. So yeah, the consequences start piling up at this point. Yeah, piling up. But then I get, um, I had a creep at my house that had a whole bag of really good drugs. 
but you know, some creeps want you to do stuff and you don't feel like doing stuff. So I got this great idea in my head. I knew some guys that were pretty bad. I was going to call them and tell them, hey, I'm going to kick this guy out of my house. I just want you to grab this bag because I knew it was too big to fit in his pocket, right? So <laughs> I didn't know the guy at my house was an informant for the police. Yeah, Oof. they got him anyway. So I was on the run for a while. I got caught. And by the, when I got caught, I, had, I think I had been up for like four or five days. I was just... I got charged with a Class X armed robbery. Wow. And uh, I sat in jail for 90-something days in county, Madison County. Uh, it's my first. I got cornrows. They cornrowed my hair in there, Kevin. <laughs> my mom came to see me and all, and she just cried. It's what like Cancun, they... <laughs> right? Everybody goes to no, Cancun. No, it wasn't like Cancun <laughs> cornrows. <laughs> I, my head hurt so bad because they were so tight. But, yeah, uh, that's when the, the consequences. Um, being in Madison County Jail, even though the mirrors aren't good mirrors, you've probably never been I've, in jail. I've never been. No, okay. Not, so I've been I've been in a little holding tank overnight when it's I was It's kind of like a, like, a, like a pan that's kind of shiny, so you can kind of see yourself in the mirror. But it was the first time that I had probably looked at myself in maybe a year and really looked at myself. And I probably was... 80 pounds, dripping wet, I mean, and swear to God, I was never going to do drugs again. I was going to change my life. I was going to go back to a, a recovery program. I was going to do it, I, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and it's crazy, that strange mental blank spot that we forget the pain and suffering that drugs and alcohol do to us, you know? Um, I got out of jail, and I, I screwed up again. So... Uh, my bottom was um so hold on real quick i want to okay. i just kind of while you were talking about jail okay. i was thinking about something so you're you know you're going in out of treatment you've been introduced to recovery right oh, whether oh yeah. whatever type of program that may be you know there's there's several different 12 step programs mm -hmm. there's christian based programs there's science based pro there's a right. lot of different programs so you were well aware of what a recovery program was at that time mm -hmm. you just were Going in, work, working them for a little bit, and then just ditching it, right? I wouldn't say I was working it. You were just showing up. I was moving into sober houses to have somewhere to live, and I was, um, I can't even say, there was sometimes I was still using in the houses. Yeah. I, I had clean pee in my closet, and whenever they would call a house drop, I would get a cup of coffee, put the pill bottle with the pee in the coffee cup so it would warm up and be temperature, and drop. I mean, yeah, you know. Okay, so you you knew what that world was like, though. You knew it. You knew you could access it if you needed it. You were just you weren't utilizing it, right? You get out of jail. Uh huh. Were you? Did you remain sober for the whole jail stay, or were there drugs in jail? Oh, I I ended up finally getting some. Uh, what was it called? Not Xanax, but uh, lorazep lorazepam from the doctor in the jail. They had to move me three times. There's they they were mean to me in there. The, <laughs> so were I, I there illicit drugs though? Were there or did you? Get oh no no no! I okay. got, I had to get it. You have to go see like that doctor in the jail. Okay, but gotcha. she was really mean to me the first couple of times she seen me because I mean literally you could look at me and tell I was a heroin addict and a crackhead. I had you know stuff on my arms and everything. We haven't even got to the heroin yet, but anyway. Um, 
I was getting bullied. People were taking my food. So what I finally learned I had to do in there was take my tray as soon as I got it and run to my cell and eat in my bed if yeah. I if I wanted to eat, you know. Um, so, I mean, I would just cry. So finally she gave me like a a small dose of liver. But even in jail, guess what I did? I'd save them up three or four days and take them all at once, you know, because I couldn't feel anything off one. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, normal people don't think like that. But no, that's I'm not normal. Yeah, <laughs> me neither, sister. So, um, all right. So you get out of jail now. Uh huh. Most people that might be enough. Yeah, you, you keep think. going. You keep charging ahead. No, I actually for two days I started calling places and um, I was just overwhelmed and I start I was drinking. I was actually staying at a pretty well off older dude that wanted to help me out his house and he was not there and he had a full bar and so I started drinking and then you know for me when I drink inhibitions are out the window right so I'm just can lead to so I'm on the phone calling the crack dealer can you meet me at Walgreens and then I'm calling the guy hey I, I need something take me to Walgreens you know and he had no idea you know so, and then, yeah, um, I ended up, I ended up in the back of a semi-truck. That's where the end of my disease took me, um, you know, with, I ended up snorting heroin because pain pills got too expensive and I got too lazy to do what I had to do to get the money to pay for the good stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah. In a general way. So, um. I knew a guy that I had met when I was married to Eric and lived in Waterloo. And uh, I jumped in his truck and we just went back and forth to California and smoked meth and did whatever. And um, I hated myself. I literally hated myself. And uh, I I loaded up two rigs one day and put them in my arms at the same time. And I wanted, I wanted everyone to think that I had OD'd, but... I was trying to kill myself and I woke up and I was so mad. I remember just looking up and thanking God and cussing at God because why do you keep letting me like stay here and let everyone down? It wasn't even necessarily me I was thinking of. It was my mom, my sisters, my son. And uh, I was on a ventilator, I think for a day or two. And then when they took me off the ventilator, my mom was there. Every other time I tried to commit suicide or overdosed or... Because I had tried that a lot. Uh, there was flowers all over my room. My family was there. My sisters were braiding my hair. And that time, nobody. My mom. And she told me, Arlie told me to punch you in the face. And she got up and she left. And that's exactly what I needed. You know? So that was it? That was it, and that was, and then there was a male nurse, and uh, I told him, I said, um, he said, you know, we're going to put you in a regular room, and then you can be discharged, and I remember telling him, uh, if I leave here, I'm going to die. I had everything I owned was in a bag in the back of that semi-truck. I didn't want to call that dude, you know, and uh, he said, if I put you up on the fourth floor in Kettler, you're not going to be able to leave, and I was like, I understand that, so... I went up there, and the the social worker up there, it was a godsend. I was honest with her, you know, and she had, she, she just, she helped me. 
get a hold of all the right people to get me into all the right places to get hooked up with the recovery that that I have today. You know, that's amazing. It is pretty amazing. So tell us what your life's like today. I know we kind of touched on it earlier, but, okay. uh, you know, that was six and a half years ago when all that started. Okay. Um, like Andy and I spoke about in the first episode, you know, recovery's not easy no. all the time. No. Um, especially early on. You yep. definitely have to learn how to actually deal with problems that are happening in your life. Uh-huh. Um, instead of just, uh, you know, people like me and you, we can't just have a hard day and say, oh, I need a glass of wine. No. Because that's... That's not going to just end at that glass of wine. So, so you've got to learn how to, how to manage your life and how to be honest. And, uh, so tell us a little bit about how you did that and, uh, what do you continue to do today? Well, I have higher power. I pray every single morning for that higher power to help me to think of others and not myself, um, to, remove from me what blocks me from helping other people. Um, I have been selfish my entire life and only thought about myself and look where the, where it got me, you know. And that doesn't mean I still don't fall back there some days. I sure. talked to you yesterday morning on the phone, you know. I think the best thing that I have learned in recovery is that the drugs and the alcohol um, was my solution to me. That's I right. have a sick mind and I can still go there sometimes. Um, helping other women, praying. I love meditating. Uh, doing yoga for me is like my favorite because I, I don't think about anything except for just the stretching. I know that sounds weird. I don't know. Um, I love cleaning, decorating. I have so many women friends in my life, you know. My phone never stops ringing, just reaching out to others. Um, my husband's like my best friend, you know. He's having, my best friend too. <laughs> he, dude, I'm telling you, when I began to love myself in recovery, my my picker was broken. Before I went after men that you know, I I wasn't I didn't I didn't have any self love, so I didn't feel worthy that I deserved any like a good man, you know, and um, man. Just being able to just be so open and honest with my husband about everything, uh, that's a huge blessing in my life. Spending time with the kids, um, that was a hard one early on in recovery. Sure. I'm not going to lie. Um, and, and, I, and I have a lot of moms that I get to walk through that, you know. We want our kids back so bad when we first get sober. I want to be a mom. I want this. I want this. And all of a sudden, they're there. And it's so overwhelming. And because what we're used to, we want to reach for a Xanax or a drink or a drug and you can't. Yeah. And I remember so many times early on just being on the bathroom floor, like crying, like this is hard stuff. How do regular moms do do this? You know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I go to support groups. Um, I have a network and I surround myself with like minded people. Um, that has made a huge difference. I want to say one thing. My sister uh, always told me bad associations spoil useful character. Always told me that over and over. She'd send me cards. We love you. We're praying for you. I'll make my nieces draw these pictures. Get well soon. And I never got it until I got it. Now I get it, you know. And 
I think the people that we surround ourselves with, they rub off on us, you know? Yeah. What do they say? The the people, the five people you spend your most time with is who you're going to probably act like, whatever they're doing. Yes. Uh, man, I have some amazing friends and I have some amazing family. And sometimes it's almost overwhelming because I, I want to reach out to so many people. I don't yeah. want anyone to feel left out. And that's a blessing in my life from, yeah. from going. I mean, I was in the back of a truck and I used to hate dogs. I know. I love dogs now, guys. But anyway, I was in the back of a truck with a with a pit bull, you know, and nobody else. And now my life is so full, you know. Like you said, I get I get to travel the world. I've been to Belize, Honduras, Mexico. I get to go to uh Sedona, Arizona next week, you know. Yeah. Well, um I certainly appreciate you being open to to do this. I know we talked about some pretty tough stuff. Yeah. Um but uh, like we had talked beforehand, by doing this, I think it helps us and it helps other people mm-hmm. if, they, if they hear this and they, they're in a situation, whether it's like mine or like yours or somewhere in between. Uh, and I think that uh, the more of it that's out there, the better everyone is. Yeah. And so I guess in, in closing, what would you say to someone that's struggling right now, knowing what you know, going through what you've been through? Any advice you could give someone that's uh, that's that's just in a really bad spot right now? Have you had enough pain yet? You know, and and when you've had enough pain, you'll find some willingness to change. You know, I mean, I I just think nobody can do it for you, and you gotta you gotta really want it for you. Not for your kids, not for your husband, not for your mom, but for yourself, you know? And you deserve it, and you're worthy. I don't care where you've been or how low. I mean, there's a lot I left out, and and this was some low-down, dirty shit on this podcast, and there's some stuff I left out. So, I mean, if if you're a woman and you think that uh, you're you've gone too far from, you know, getting help, Reach out to Jack over here and get my phone number, and and, and I'll tell you the real dirty dick shit, okay? Because uh, if I can recover, I swear anybody can recover. It just takes a lot of willingness, a lot of honesty, and being open-minded. And and I know I did say God on here a lot, but God can mean grow or die, group of drunks, great outdoors. There's some, you know... I'm not a religious person. I'm going to just end with that. All right, Carrie. Well, thank you very much. I love you. I love you so uh, much, Kevin. I love you. I'm I'm so very grateful to have you and and Ben to be in my lives. Yeah, I know. I know you're you're ready to be done, but thanks a lot. All right. Signing off.